Welcome to the audio ministry of Grove Park Baptist Church in Burlington, North Carolina. We pray you will be blessed by today's message. I invite you to take your copy of God's Word and turn to Genesis chapter 45. Two weeks ago, I gave you um, four issues, and I encourage you to research them and get in touch with me about what interested you. This week, I got a call from a friend who listens to our podcast in another part of the state, and the first question he asked me was, how many emails have you gotten? Well, I'm reporting to you this morning I've gotten one from inside of Grove Park and one from outside of Grove Park who visited our church recently and had been tuning in and wanted to know how they could help in a particular area. So I'm encouraging you to please call me, send me a note, let me know what your issue is. I'm also wanting to remind you this morning that two Sundays from now will be Easter. It's a great time to invite someone to come with you to service. And it's a reminder that that morning we will be celebrating two baptisms. You can tell them you'll take them out for ham afterwards. But bring them on. Genesis 45 this morning. Would you pray with me? Grace alone. Oh, Lord, we couldn't live without it. Couldn't function, couldn't move, couldn't breathe apart from grace. So, Lord, we pray for grace for this moment. Grace to hear, grace to understand, grace to see, grace to be impacted, grace to feel your embrace as you hold us close to yourself and say, it will be okay, grace that will move us to the place that you would have us to be. Lord, grant me grace, the grace of words to say for those who have gathered who hear from you as we make our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. The Genesis account is composed beginning in Genesis chapter 12 by sweeping narratives about the lives of the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Genesis concludes with the narrative of Joseph's life, and we may ask ourselves, why? Joseph is not a patriarch. He's not in the coming Davidic line from which Jesus will arise. He is not 
of the Levites, so he is not a priest. He would seem to be a peripheral character in all this, and yet the last 13 chapters of the book of Genesis center around 12, actually, center around the life of Joseph. Why this emphasis on Joseph? Joseph serves as a meta-narrative for our lives, for what our lives should be uh, centered in as we look to a life of faith. Joseph's is a life lived by faith, and his life provides the broad strokes of what that life can look like. It is in one reason why Joseph is often considered by theologians to be a foreshadow of Jesus. Now, what is a meta-narrative? It's a term that we may not be familiar with, but it is useful for us this morning to provide us the basic foundations for a faith-filled life. You and I often will get caught up in the details. We'll get caught up in the details of Joseph's life and really anything we're studying. And as we do so, we miss out on things. You see, so very often most of us like to draw lines. We like to make things narrower and narrower and narrower, working under the assumption that the more narrow we become in our thinking, maybe the more righteous we will become, the more knowledgeable we will become. Whole places of uh, scholarship is centered around what are referred to as micro-histories. It takes one subject, and like I have a book at home on the history of zero. It's a whole book around zero. I also have one on salt. We like to do that. We like to focus down on the, the narrow things. A reminder to us this morning, that's what the Pharisees tried to do with the Scriptures. They tried it and they were found wanting. God said, you shall keep the Sabbath. So what did they do? They created all of these rules so how you could keep the Sabbath. Here is keep the Sabbath holy. And they say, well, to do that, you got to do this, you got to do this, you got to do this, you got to do this. And if you got this... Um, if you got this bag of money and you're carrying it on the Sabbath and you can only go so far, then you got to set the money down and maybe when you come back tomorrow, it'll still be there because if you go one more step further, you, you're working and you can't work on the Sabbath. They've gone narrow and narrow and narrow and missed the bigger picture. The meta-narratives of Scripture require us to be more expansive in our thinking, to come up with things that provide us the basic concepts of faith and allow those basic concepts to construct the avenues of our life wherein that we can go into side alleys and things from there, but we do so keeping with these basic overall narratives or, or framework of Scripture. So what is the meta-narrative of Joseph's life? And what can we learn from it? When we look back to chapter 37, our first entrance into Joseph's life, we see that Joseph's life is founded on a dream. 
a dream that Joseph believed was given to him by God as evidenced in his react in their reactions of his family after he shared it with them and later in his use of his gifting of dream interpretation in prison Joseph's dreams served as a promise from God to Joseph and in doing so they provided Joseph the tie that he needed to find his place in the covenant that God had made with Abraham and had later affirmed in Isaac and Joseph's father Jacob's life. The covenant to which Joseph understood, I am part of this. The covenant which God would reaffirm with Jacob in Genesis 46, 1 through 4. And it was this promise from God that Joseph held on to and it caused him to have a resolute faith in God and it enabled him therefore to do what would seem to be the impossible because the promise of God that Joseph held on to empowered him to persevere. Have you ever thought as we've gone through this narrative how easy it would have been for Joseph to quit? For Joseph to give up on the promise that that God was going to raise him up one day and he was going to put him in a high position. I mean, Joseph could have quit. Joseph could have quit believing in the promise, could have quit believing in God when he was separated by his brothers and sold into slavery. After all, his brothers had quit on him. Why should he not quit on God in that process? He could have quit as he decided that the temptations of Potiphar's wife were much more alluring than the dream that God had given him. He could have quit and not used his God-given gifts in the jail as he found himself once more serving God but, but seemingly gets pushed further and further into the hole as he goes to jail and said, I'm not interpreting your dream, Baker. I'm not interpreting your dream, Cupbearer. And because he says, I'm not going to interpret your dream, he misses his chance with Pharaoh. He could have quit when his brothers came before him for the first time. And he could have just said, you know what? I remember you guys. I remember what you did to me. I'm going to kill you now. He could have quit. He could have even quit after he had brought his entire family to Egypt because his brothers thought that they were going to die by his hand then. Genesis 50, 15 through 17 states. But yet Joseph didn't. Joseph kept covenant with God. And more importantly, God kept covenant with Joseph. Genesis 39, 21 says that God showed Joseph steadfast love. In the Hebrew, that is hesed. It is covenant love. Is the love that God makes and pours out to those that he has, he has covenanted with. And so Joseph was able to persevere through all of the difficulties, of all the most difficult of circumstances he found himself in because in his heart Joseph believed that God would keep his promises. That God would keep his promises and enable Joseph to do all the things that Joseph's dreams had said that he would. And so Joseph attached himself and persevered 
because of God's promise. Beloved, how firmly have you attached yourself to God's promises today? Does God's promises encourage you to persevere even in the most difficult of circumstances? We say we believe in the Word of God. We believe in all these things. But do we really? Do we really, when we find ourselves in those difficult places in life, do we say God has not left me yet or do we feel completely gone from Him? Do we really believe in the hard times that God will never leave us nor forsake us? Do we really hold on to his promises though we are battered and swept back and forth? Or do we treat it as just some theological fluff that we can get up and talk about which sounds real nice when we say it but somewhere deep inside we don't hold to it? Beloved, let me tell you something. You can't build a single thing on fluff. You can't. I mean, imagine. Imagine if we were going to build a building and it comes time to, to lay out the foundation. And all of us, instead of going and finding some, some uh, stones and, and things like that to build the foundation on, we just brought a bunch of pillars. Is it going to stand? Is it going to stand when the wind blows? Is it going to stand when the least little vibration shakes it? No. Beloved, we have to attach ourselves to the promise because the promises of God are yes and amen and they will never forsake because God's going to keep them. God's going to be faithful. And when we attach ourselves to them, we can persevere. We can hold on because we know God is always moving things for our good. That God is always providing us light and the light has shone into the darkness and John said, and the darkness has still not overcome it. And it never will. Now you might tell me this morning, Mark, this all sounds good, but do you understand how difficult things are? Do you understand, do you have any comprehension how awful my life has been? How on earth do you expect me to persevere under such circumstances? The simple answer, beloved, is that you rest in the provision of the promise. What is the provision of the promise? Well, at first it's that recognition of covenant love that God has for each of us, that we are tethered to him, that enables us to, to persevere. But, but there's another part of that, and, there's, there's a, and it is that there is a healthy dose in the provision of grace. Grace is the ultimate provision of God to Joseph. Joseph is perpetually encountering grace, it seems, throughout his life. He finds it directly from God. Remember all the instances of favor in chapter 39? As Joseph deals with Potiphar's wife, it will say again and again in that text, and Joseph found favor with God. In that same narrative, it will also say, and God was with Joseph. And God was with Joseph. The presence of God is a place of grace, beloved. And God was with him. But it's not just from God that Joseph finds grace. Joseph finds grace extended to him through others. We see it in the very first encounter we have with Joseph. As Jacob bestows privilege on him through the gift of the coat of many colors. 
We see it later in the positions of leadership that are given to him first by Potiphar and then the jailer. We find grace as the cupbearer suddenly after a couple years remembers Joseph and his dream interpretation capabilities. We see it as Pharaoh grants Joseph freedom and makes him governor, literally takes him from the jail and puts him in the seat of power in the palace. We see it as Pharaoh allows Jacob and the entire family to settle in Goshen as recorded in Genesis 46, 28 through 34. Through others, Joseph continuously experiences grace. And the provision of grace is afforded through Joseph's belief in God's promise. And it protects him. It protects him. Think about all the things that could have gone wrong in Joseph's life. Think about how it could have gone wrong in Joseph's life with the enslavement. Think about how it could have gone wrong in Joseph's life with his imprisonment. Think about how you, you, you think of it as a side term in, in Genesis 46 when, when Joseph brings the family over from Canaan and, and uh, he says, uh, settle here in, in Goshen and say that you are a deal with animal husbandry. And we think, well, what's the big deal about that? Well, Egyptians look down on people with animal husbandry. Egyptians were a completely different culture, and yet through the protection of, of grace, Jacob and the family are able to stay away from, from all of those um, uh, condescension and all of those uh, horrible things that the Egyptians might have said and done to them, and they were able to live their lives out free. Joseph was protected through grace because it didn't allow him to become embittered and selfish but to give of himself and his talents and in doing so Joseph becomes an extension of grace Joseph shows grace to his captors he serves as the head of the jail if I'd gotten thrown in there on trumped-up charges, I'm not sure I'd have said anything, but, but Joseph continues to serve. Joseph continues to help out. Joseph extends grace to a nation that has, has done him wrong throughout most of his time there, and he yet saves the nation by becoming head of their agricultural supply. Joseph shows grace to his brothers because he looks after them when they come back to him and he forgives them for what they have done. I'm not positive if, if I were in Joseph's position, I could have shown his brothers the grace he did. And let's be truthful this morning, beloved, none of us are. But he does. And he does so in such a way that it frees him and enables him to, to just soar above all of the bad circumstances of his life. Joseph's forgiveness of his brothers, Joseph's grace to his brothers is so deep that in Genesis 50, verse 15, we find this. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, it may be that Joseph will hate us and pay us back for all the evil that we did to him. So they sent, him a, me they sent a message to Joseph saying, your father gave this command before he died. Say to Joseph, 
Please forgive the transgression of your brothers and their sin because they did evil to you. And now please forgive the transgression of the servants of the God of your father. Joseph wept when they spoke to him. I've read the account, beloved, but I can't find where, jo- where, where Jacob said this to him. And so they come here with this lie again. And Joseph feels such depths of grace to them that he weeps that they cannot see the grace in him, that they still live in fear. But that's how far he has forgiven them. Beloved, how much is your life marked by the provision of grace today? Do you recognize it for what it is? Or do you take it as something that you yourself have done? Can you look back over your life and say, you know what, God protected me and brought me through this and and because he did, this is why I'm able to be here now. Or do you say, I did it all. As you deal with other people, is your life a, a conduit of grace to them? Or are you still concerned only about yourself? Grace, beloved, in a believer's life should leave a mark. Should leave a mark. You know, the, the other day I was, uh, I was doing laundry. And uh, I was cleaning out the, the lint thing. Y'all know what I'm talking about. And I, there was a little piece of lint in, in the lint thing when I pulled it out. And I stuck my hand in there. And I don't, you know, I don't have a small hand. And uh, it caught and, and I got a mark right here. And I kept looking at that mark, and it's not going away. It's still there. And I thought, I'm going to have to live the rest of my life and say that my battle wound was with a Maytag dryer. That looks real manly. It, it left a mark, you know. Beloved Grace should leave a mark on you. It should leave a mark so that other people can see it. It should leave a mark so that other people can see it and not have to, to say, a, uh, you have to say a single thing to them. In Genesis 49, Joseph is, excuse me, Jacob is blessing his sons before he dies. And in verse 22, it shows. Now, now a reminder to you that for vast portions of, Jacob's, of Joseph's life, ja- uh, Jacob has not been there. But in verse 22, it says, Joseph is a fruitful bow. A fruitful bow by a spring, his branches run over the wall. The archers bitterly attacked him, shot at him, and harassed him severely. Yet his bow remained unmoved. His arms were made agile by the hands of the mighty one of Jacob. From there is the shepherd, the stone of Israel. By the help of your father who will help God your uh, by the God of your father who will help you by the almighty who will bless you with blessings of heaven above Jacob had seen what had gone on in Joseph's life in the intervening time between the imprisonment and uh, the enslavement and what, where he had brought them back to Egypt and he said it's a life marked by grace Joseph could have quit but he persevered and how did he persevere he persevered through grace Joseph kept hold of the covenant. And look what God has done, he says. Beloved, this is important. Because as you rely on the provision of grace, 
it enables you to have the perspective of the promise. You know, you and I far too often look at the immediate and miss the long view perspective. You and I want quick results and we want immediate gains and we fail to recognize that God is more concerned about the long view in our life. Why is it that Jesus talked about faith being like a seed? Because you don't put a seed in the ground and the next day come out and there's watermelons. Got a, got a picture from a friend this week. He was planting watermelons. Now he got them from a water. He got the seed from a watermelon last year, and he was planting them this week. And those watermelons aren't. I don't know when they're going to come due, but it's not going to be next week. It's not going to be probably next month, beloved. Do you have the long perspective of the promise? Joseph has the proper perspective. We see it in Genesis 45. Look at verse number four. He says, so Joseph said to his brothers, come near to me, please. And they came near and he said, I am your brother, Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. For the famine has been in the land these two years, and there are yet five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvest. And God sent me before you to preserve you for a remnant on earth and to keep alive for you many survivors. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. He says, you thought that you were going to do me in, but God was at work. Beloved, when you have the long-term perspective, and Joseph is going to repeat this in Genesis 50, when you have the long-term perspective, you go back to that whole part about relying on the promise that God could keep it, and you know that in the long term, God is continuously moving in your life to make what he said he was going to do happen. And you are holding on to that because you ultimately believe that God is the one that's in control. That you are not bound by fate or anything else, but that God is in control. And God is sovereignly moving in your life. I was thinking about this the other day. Before I was 30 years old, I had experienced a staffing issue, a church fire, and more funerals than I could count. And the pastor of one small local church down east. And I thought to myself, now that I am 20 years later, how often I go back to those things that I learned so long ago and I have now been able to see with a long perspective what God was doing. Beloved, do you have the long perspective? Because if you don't, you'll get an Eeyore mentality that says, woe is me, nothing ever good goes on in my life instead of understanding that what God is doing is using you to preserve people that maybe you don't even know right now. Because that's what the text says. 
Joseph says, God sent me to protect you and ultimately to protect the covenant boys because if I hadn't, all of you would have died from famine and God's promise would have died that he was going to make descendants of our great-granddaddy Abraham as numerous as the sands of the sea and the stars of the heavens. So God made this all work out. Beloved, can you say that today? Can you say that today for yourself? Can you say, and with that perspective, I have learned from what God is doing in my life. Can you say from that perspective that, that I am now able to trust God more because He has enabled me to have greater faith because I have seen where He has been at work and if He had did it back then, He'll do it right there. Or do you just simply say, oh, it ain't never going to happen. How's your perspective this morning? How's your perspective? You know, Joseph trusted God so much, I want you to notice what he did. Genesis 50, 22. And so, so Joseph remained in Egypt. He and his father's house, Joseph lived 110 years, and Joseph saw Ephraim's children of the third generation. The children also of Machir, the son of Manasseh, were counted as Joseph's own. And Joseph said to his brothers, I am about to die, but God will visit you and bring you up out of this land to the land that he swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Then Joseph made the sons of Israel swear, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry my bones from here. So Joseph died, being 110 years old, they embalmed him, and he was put in a coffin in Egypt. Joseph says, I am so reliant on the promise of God that I'm going to die in Egypt, but one day God's going to move us back to Canaan. And when, I, when we go, carry me with you. Don't leave me here in the land that wasn't the promise. I want to be buried in the promise because I'm still holding on to the promise. Beloved, faith is holding on even when everything around you seems to be dying. You're still looking at the promise and saying God's going to do it because I serve a living God, not a dead one. And he is still sovereign and working. And Joseph said, I'm going to hold on and I'm going to keep going. You know, it's going to take 450 years approximately for this to happen. But when they leave Egypt, the scripture says, they loaded him up and took him with him. Beloved, each of us has a promise. It's a promise from God. And the question is, are we going to accept it today? You say, oh, I accepted it long ago. Well, understand that the promise will cause you to change over time. See, Jacob held on to the promise too. God reaffirmed it to him in Genesis 46. And so at the, at the 130 years old, Genesis 47.9 says, Jacob moved to Egypt in keeping with the promise. So, beloved, are you still holding on and allowing God to work in you and change you to get you to the promise? Age is not, we see here, a limiting factor. You say, ah, Mark, I've done a lot. Nothing can go right. You know what Jacob would tell you? Jacob would tell you that God did it at 130 
because God had already shown him all the things that he could do to change a life before then. Because Jacob was a deceiver. He was a low-down, dirty rascal, and yet God worked in his life. And so at 130, he was able to say, I'm going to switch, I'm going to move, I'm going to do. Because of the promise. Mark, I don't know if I can still do it. Beloved, hear me. God will honor it. Joseph held on in the hardest of circumstances. And Genesis 48 tells us that Joseph got a double portion from the promised land. How did he get a double portion? He was already dead. You see, each of Jacob's sons got one portion. The Levites were priests, so they didn't get a portion because they were all supposed to be supported by the nation of Israel. So now, what does Jacob do? He blesses both of Joseph's sons. So while everybody else is getting, you know, a little sliver, Jacob's family gets two parts. Jacob's family gets two parts because God watches after those who hold fast to him. God is a God who keeps his promises. Are you keeping yours today? You know, someone said to me one time that they thought that the inscription on my, on my grave should say, Beloved Grace. I've been thinking about that. Not that I'm getting anywhere close to getting a grave, but, well, according to my mother, I've already got one bought for me, so, you know. But I've been thinking about that. And, and I, I think a better way to say it would be promise kept. I hope I'm going to keep the promise. But when I die, I know God will. And so it's not a message about me. It'll be a message about God. And as I was finishing up this sermon, this thought occurred to me. Grove Park, we are in the midst of a time of tremendous change and transition as a congregation, as, as a community, as a nation. And I know that in a lot of ways we've been shaken and stirred and we've talked about grief and we've done all this. But when, when, when they write the book, and they'll have to add chapters because the book's not going in, but when they write the book about Grove Park and they write it about this time in our history, I want the chapter to be titled, Promise Kept. Promise Kept, because at this point, in the midst of all the change, we kept our promise to God. But more importantly, the promise that God made all those, to those people who met in the white shack here 75 years ago, he fulfilled still in this generation. Now the question is, are you going to get up to let him be the avenue of grace to keep his promise today? Will that be the meta-narrative of this body of faith. Let's pray. 
Gracious God, may we have grace to be held, to see the long term, to persevere, to know that you are protecting us. For we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope you enjoyed today's message. Please note our schedule has been revised as of April 2021. Please join us on Sunday mornings for worship at 10 o'clock in the sanctuary at 108 Trail 1 in Burlington or on Facebook Live. For more information and resources regarding our church, please visit groveparkchurch.net. And remember, grace abound. Thank mm-hmm. you.